BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Welcome back to the peripheral. You know, for every episode I put out, I try to create these intros where I tell the audience a little bit about what my guest is going to be discussing just to give everyone a heads up. I feel that's the trigger warning if it's a topic that sadly a lot of people have been through and might not want to hear about or just be prepared before hearing it. This episode, I was at a complete loss for words. It's about rape and the rape being recorded. I'd actually asked a few friends who gave me ideas, and a friend of mine named Joe referenced a case that had happened in the past, but we couldn't remember the details of the case. So we went online and searched for over 30 minutes, digging through hundreds of cases that involve rape being recorded, trying to find the one that we were thinking about. Let's just say we were both horrified We did end up finding the original story, which happened to be the Steubenville case, but now that's become secondary to this disgusting behavior that re-victimizes the victim in the worst way. Today, I speak with the brave and wonderful Erica, who recalls a very traumatic event from her high school years where she was raped and then finds out that there was a video. I'm Erica, and I'm sharing some stories that happened throughout my childhood and the summer in between eighth grade and ninth grade, so going from middle school to high school. My family had just bought a house for the first time a couple years earlier. We had always grown up in the inner city. Moving to the suburbs was a big deal for for my parents and my family, and I was the oldest out of five kids. And I had my first boyfriend, which, you know, was very exciting. I wasn't allowed to have boyfriends before that. So my parents were very conservative, very religious. I technically had my first boyfriend that summer, but I wasn't really supposed to have a boyfriend that summer. And he ended up not being a very nice guy. I met him around the neighborhood. He was friends with a group of older boys that lived in my neighborhood. And I started going to the park in the middle of our neighborhood a lot with my friends and, you know, hanging out with the older high school kids was really cool. And I was like, this is really awesome. In my little 15-year-old undeveloped brain, I was like, I need to impress these 
these people. And that's where I met Daniel and his friend. And we weren't together very long. It was like a summer as serious of a fling as you can have when you're 15. And he was a couple years older than me. So I was like, this is really cool. He's really cool. I'm going to be this cool kid going into high school with this cool older boyfriend. And we started hanging out much to my parents' dismay because he was a troublemaker around the neighborhood. Him and the other boys he hung out with were like people that did stupid, dumb teenage shit, like set trash cans on fire and destroy public property and, you know, do dumb shit that teenagers do. I was there for it. I was like, yeah, this is cool. And I grew up in a very conservative Christian household. We didn't talk about sex or boyfriends or relationships or body changes or really anything that is like normal life things that should probably be openly talked about. We just, we didn't. And the few times my parents did talk to us about it, it was so awkward and so uncomfortable. My parents had me when they were teenagers. So they were at like abstinence above all else. Do not have sex. Do not get pregnant before you're married or especially as a teenager. Because of that, I also didn't know anything about what consent was or even what rape was. Because to me, rape was what you saw on TV on like Law and Order SVU. You're jogging through the park and some guy like attacks you at knife point. No one talked about date rape or consensual sex versus non-consensual I guess that's kind of gets to the heart of my story here. My first boyfriend, when I was 15, ended up raping me. And it took me a long time to even say that that happened to me. Partly because I was in denial and partly because I was just didn't realize what rape was. Because like I said, I thought it was what you saw in these really dramatic crime shows not something that happens by people you know and trust. Daniel and I, like I said, we met around the neighborhood. He asked me to be his girlfriend, and I was like, this is super cool. He wasn't super nice. He was very hot and cold with me, and I think he was 17. And I wanted the movie boyfriend. Like All of my relationship and sexual advice came from television and movies because we didn't talk about it at home. So I was like, oh, he's going to be this super cool boyfriend that you have in TV shows and movies, you know, like all the late 90, early 2000 rom-coms. I was like, yeah, this is great. This is going to be awesome. It just wasn't that. There was a lot of not return phone calls or a lot of standing me up. And it was before social media and text messages. There was one day we were hanging out at his friend's house, who was my neighbor that lived a couple streets over from me. And he was really pressuring me to do stuff with him. And I'd never done anything other than kiss somebody on the mouth and not even a good kiss, like a peck on the lips type of kiss. And I was like, okay, well, if I give a little, then he'll like leave me alone. And because also, I grew up super religious. I was like, oh, can't can't do anything until I'm married. I will definitely go to hell and die, and my parents will hate me forever. Can't do anything. Then I was like, okay, if I just 
do a little this or that, he'll be fine. And that will be good enough. I just got to like make him happy and satisfied. And then I can keep my purity as a virgin still, which sounds insane as an adult now. (laughs) But you know, back then, it's what it was. That worked the first week. And then basically got down to, hey, if you aren't willing to do stuff with me, then I don't know if we should be together. And that was heartbreaking. We were kind of on a break for, you know, a whole week. Like I said, this was a very short-lived romance, if you could call it that, as I was desperate to try to fix our relationship and get him to stay with me. And so he wanted me to come to his house and I wasn't allowed to go to boys' houses. So I had devised a plan that I was going to walk to my girlfriend's house and tell my mom I was hanging out there with her. And I called my mom from her home phone. You know, my mom would see on the caller ID, like, oh, yes, she came from this person's house. I know she's there. She's going to be fine. We walked back and forth to each other's houses for years. So I knew my mom would not even question me being at my friend's house. So once I got to her house, I hung out for a little bit. She knew that I was going to go to Daniel's house from her house. And I hadn't been to his house before. So it was the first time I was going to his house. And I walked from her house to his And I remember being so proud of myself because I put on my best denim miniskirt and tank top and swimsuit because he lived by the rivers. Maybe we can go to the river and that will be really fun. And I get to his house and he was there with his brother and their friend who lived across the street. His brother and his friend ended up asking if I wanted anything from McDonald's because they were going to go walk to McDonald's. And... I was like, oh, no, I don't want anything. And so the two boys, the brother and the friend, left the house. And I was like, okay, we're alone. I can feel more relaxed. I knew them, but I didn't really know them. I was there to hang out with Daniel and talk about our relationship. So I didn't want to have that conversation in front of other people. So we went up to his room. He showed me his house. And we were in his bedroom. And he was showing me around. And it was the typical teenage boy bedroom you know, cliche teen boy posters of girls on motorcycles and bikinis. And he likes skateboarding. So he had some skateboard stuff up in his room. And that was super cool. In one corner of his room, there was this little camera. And I was like, why do you have a camera in your room? Oh, it's just to keep my brother out of my room. So I put it up there so he'd think I was recording him anytime he comes in here when I'm not home because I'm tired of my brother taking my stuff. I believe that because I was really naive and young and I shared a room with my two younger sisters until the day I moved out of my house. So I was like, yeah, that makes sense. I get tired of my little sisters getting into my stuff and I have to share a room with them. The detective came and knocked on the door and I said, is it Renee? And he just gave me that solemn look. It was the worst day ever. The Proof Podcast is back with a new case and a new season. 23 years ago, 18-year-old Renee Ramos went missing. Her body was later found in an empty Home Depot building on the edge of town. I don't think that they arrested the right people. It's about time somebody's trying to do something. She had a black eye about two weeks before she was murdered. They are involved. They definitely had her body and her backpack. You know people are going to judge you, right? Of course. They're judging me now. 
They've been judging me damn near my whole life. You can listen now to season two of Proof wherever you get your podcasts and follow along with us as we reinvestigate the murder at the warehouse. I have to ask, did you kill Renee? Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. We were fooling around and that was fine. I was like, okay, I'm going to just give enough as I can without having to give up having sex. I feel like this is a really cliche term, but the anything but girl where like anything goes except having sex because you have to stay a virgin. Otherwise, you're going straight to hell. Okay, I'm going to do all this stuff. He'll enjoy himself and it will be fine. And he'll still be my boyfriend. And I push off having sex a little bit longer. That worked for a little bit. We were on sitting on his beanbag chair, pulling around and stuff. And that was fine. And then his brother and friend came home and kind of interrupted us. And then I was like, oh, perfect timing. We can just hang out for a bit and then go do something else. His friend and brother left the room. I found out later they were in the other room the whole time that shared the wall with his room and his brother's room and his room like had one of those dual closets where it was just one closet and they both had doors on either side of their bedroom. So I thought they were not in the bedroom with us anymore. We were laying on his bed and he was asking me to have sex with him again. And I just was like, I don't feel like I'm ready to. I don't know what to do. I had like a million reasons. I was going to say excuses. I shouldn't have to have an excuse if I don't want to have sex. I shouldn't have to have a reason to not want to have sex. Grown up Erica knows that. 15 year old Erica didn't know that. It got to the point where he was like, well, why don't we just go back to fooling around a little bit? And I was like, okay, I guess we can we can do some other stuff. And then maybe if I change my mind, I'll change my mind, but I don't think I'm going to. And he got on top of me and we were laying down on his bed and everything was fine at first. He was kissing me and everything. I was kind of nervous and not super comfortable, but I was just like, okay, if I just do, like I said, if I had that mindset, if I just give a little bit, then it will be fine. And that will be enough. This time it just wasn't. I remember him pushing up my skirt. And like I said, I was super excited about my outfit that day. And it was just a ridiculous outfit. Looking back, it was very early 2000s teen girl outfit. And he started having sex with me. And I was just like, holy shit what do I do? He's on top of me now. And I already told him I didn't want to. And it really hurt because I've never done anything before. 
I didn't even use tampons at that point. I had zero experience with any sort of penetration. I was just like, shit, I'm in this now. And I didn't want to push him off of me because he was bigger than me and heavier than me. And I felt so violated. I didn't know what to do. I was really just in complete shock. He didn't even take my clothes off. He just kind of shoved everything out of the way. And then I was like, okay, I can't fight him off of me because I don't know what he's going to do now. This was somebody I thought, like, he wasn't very nice. Like, I should have known I couldn't really trust him. But I didn't. I was really young and naive. At that point, I kind of went into, like, fight or flight. And I didn't really do either of those. And then I learned about freeze and fawn. And I was definitely froze. And I definitely had some fawning response there. Like I said, it really hurt. And I asked him to stop. He was like, no, I'm almost there. Just let me finish. Now he's really not listening to me. Like he wasn't listening to me before, but then I thought, well, maybe if I say that it hurts, he'll stop. And that didn't stop him either. So then I was really just deeper in the mindset of, I have to do what this person says and just wait till it's over so I can leave. I carried a lot of shame and guilt for that for a long time because I felt like I let it happen to myself. I was told by people later on that I let that happen to me. I got a lot of those really hurtful responses from people that I went to church with. I don't mean to like totally bash the church and Christianity in this story. And I feel like I have a little bit. It just, you know, it really shaped my perspective growing up. And the really hurtful things that were said to me did come from that place. So. I will just be honest about that. Yeah, so I let him finish, or he finished. I don't know how much I let him. I froze and panicked until he was done. And there was blood everywhere. And then he was mad at me for that because he was like, there's all these stains on my bed. My mom is going to kill me. And I was like, oh, man, that sucks for you. I'm bleeding. (laughs) But okay, let's worry about your bed. He finished and, you know, got up and then immediately panicked about all this blood and went to go clean everything up. And I was like, well, I guess I'm just going to fend for myself and fix my skirt and pull it back down. Okay, I'm just going to like fix myself. And he got a towel for himself and for his bed. I got my flip flops and started leaving his house. And he walked outside with me and gave me a hug and I'll call you later. And I was like, okay. And I was still kind of in shock. And I think I asked him if he was still going to be my boyfriend. Lost my virginity to you. So I guess you're my boyfriend now. And he was like, yeah, totally. And I started walking home and I was in shock the whole way home and just trying to figure out what the hell just happened to me. I felt really violated and really dirty. And then why do I feel this way? Because I just had sex and sex should be really fun. Like I should be feeling really close to this person, you know, like in movies when you're in love and you have sex with your person that you love and it's everything is great. And that was not how I felt. So it was really confusing to me. And it was a really long, hot walk home. I was super ashamed. And a lot of my really close friends were people I went to church with. And so I knew that I couldn't tell them what happened 
because I couldn't be the friend that had sex before she was married. And I definitely didn't want to be the first friend that had sex. I got home and I remember going straight to the bathroom and taking a really long shower because I felt so disgusting. Then hopping on the computer and trying to figure out why was I bleeding after I had sex? Because again, my family didn't talk about anything. Even when I got my first period, I didn't realize that I was having my first period because that's how much we didn't talk about stuff. I later found out his parents weren't very nice and not to excuse what he did, but it definitely sounds like it played a part in some of his decision-making. And again, I will preface this by saying I'm not bashing my parents either. I really love them. They did the best they could with what they had known at the time, or they did what they thought was best. I went on AOL chats to try to figure out what was happening with me. I think I wrote about it in my diary. The next couple of weeks, I didn't feel like I had changed that much, but I was getting in more trouble. I was talking back a lot to my parents more and being really grumpy and angry. And I couldn't tell people what was going on, or I felt like I couldn't tell people what was going on. And the, I guess I'll backtrack a little bit. The next day after going to Daniel's house and having all of that happen, he called me and broke up with me. He called me all sorts of names and told me I was ugly and gross. Pretty much every derogatory name you can call a woman, he called me. Unfortunately, that was not the end of that. I got calls like that from him and his brother and his friends for a solid month, a solid month of harassing phone calls. And my parents still didn't know what happened. Every time the phone would ring, I would jump to answer it because I was so ashamed that these boys were being so mean to me. I didn't want my parents to know. Because I knew my parents would, if they heard some kids calling me horrible things, they would jump in and want to know what happened and get to the bottom of it and call their parents. And I just wanted to act like nothing happened and that nothing was happening. So about a month later, August, I got a phone call from a blocked phone number and I answered it. It was this girl named Caitlin. She was dating a friend there that day and she told me that she wanted me to know because she didn't think that I did know that the boys had made a sex tape and that they were showing it at parties and she didn't think that it was okay and she wanted me to know and then she hung up and that was really shocking I didn't know what to do with that information. It was really insane t to me. So I've, I've later found out his brother and friend had like recorded the, everything that happened with the little camera that I pointed out. And shortly after that phone call, I was getting more upset and getting in more trouble, lying to my parents about really dumb stuff. And I'm not a very good liar. My parents already knew something was off with me. I was an angsty teenager, but I was extra angsty and angry that summer for 
now obvious reasons, but my parents didn't know what had happened at that point. That's when my mom read my diary. Only I didn't say I had been raped in it because I didn't know that I had been raped at that point. I knew I had sex. I didn't know that it wasn't consensual sex. I had no idea that it wasn't. I knew it didn't feel right, but I didn't have the like knowledge or the words to know that it wasn't consensual sex until much later. In my diary, it just said that I had sex with Daniel and then he broke up with me and was really mean. I ended up getting in trouble. My, my parents were mad at me for having sex and for sneaking out and lying to them about being at my friend's house and then going to Daniel's house. My mom made me go to the doctor and get a pelvic exam and STD screenings and a pregnancy test. And I kind of tried to tell my doctor what happened. And it was still a pediatrician. I went to my pediatrician's office, but I was so ashamed. And again, I didn't realize what had happened to me wasn't okay. I just thought that's what sex was because it was my only experience or knowledge of it. I think she tried to tell my mom that maybe that something wasn't quite right, but I was adamantly saying, everything's fine. I'm fine. I'm not going to do that again. It was terrible. You don't have to worry about me. I don't need birth control or condoms because I don't ever want to experience that again. My doctor kind of let it go. I was still grounded for lying to my parents and for having sex before marriage. And like I said, I had just gotten the phone call from this girl named Caitlin, who is the girlfriend of the neighbor who was there about the sex tape. And my parents didn't know about that part. And I felt like I definitely couldn't tell them that because it was just so embarrassing. And now I'm like, I don't know why I was so embarrassed because I was the victim in that. But I didn't have that mindset. So I started high school and it was my freshman year. Like I said, I learned then that Daniel was actually really popular in school and that a lot of people at my very large high school, I went to the second biggest high school in Oregon. My graduating class had like 800 people in it. And a lot of people had seen this sex tape of me and Daniel. And I went to school being the girl with the sex tape. And people are not kind in high school. You know, it didn't matter that I didn't know about it or that it wasn't even consensual sex. None of that mattered. My grades were suffering. I was getting in trouble at school because people were really mean to me. I think at one point in the beginning of the school year, I got like kicked out of my science class because I told this girl to shut the hell up because she kept calling me names. And then, you know, my parents got called because I got sent to the principal's office. And I eventually confided in my girlfriend who was the one that I used her house as a cover to go to Daniel's house. And I told her everything that happened. I, I felt like I had to tell my friends about the sex tape because we were starting high school and so many people were hearing about it. And again, they didn't know what to do with that information either. But this one friend, I will say she really looked out for me. I was mad at her for a while because of this, but she ended up calling my mom and telling my mom everything. 
She told my mom what was happening at school and why I was fighting and getting in trouble. And she told them about the sex tape. She told them Daniel had raped me, that people at school were harassing me and calling me names about the harassing phone calls. Like she told my mom everything. My mom immediately jumped in to like try to rescue me. She wanted to hear the whole truth about what had happened to me. And I, I think my mom gave me a hug and I remember her almost crying, but then she, I think she ended up being like too angry that this had happened to me and too upset that I didn't feel like I could share it with her. Not upset with me. I just think upset at herself and in general, she made me go to the police. So we went to our local police station and we reported what happened. And I had to go into one of the little rooms that you see in police stations that don't have windows or anything. It wasn't even someone's office. It was a holding room where they question people. I think I, I talked to a male police officer at first, and then they asked me if I wanted a woman. And now I can't remember if I ever actually talked to a woman police officer or not. I think they told me that what I was saying was really serious and that Daniel could get in a lot of trouble. So I needed to be sure about what I was accusing him of. And then I panicked because I didn't want him to get in a lot of trouble. I didn't want to be at the police station. I was definitely angry with my friend for a little while, but I, I was also really relieved at the same time because it was such a heavy secret to hold. And I didn't want to tell my parents that I was being bullied at school because then I'd have to tell them why I was bullied at school. So it's just like all these layers of things that was happening when it ultimately came down back to that day in July of me and Daniel. A detective came and knocked on the door and I said, is it Renee? And he just gave me that solemn look. It was the worst day ever. The Proof Podcast is back with a new case and a new season. 23 years ago, 18-year-old Renee Ramos went missing. Her body was later found in an empty Home Depot building on the edge of town. I don't think that they arrested the right people. It's about time somebody's trying to do something. She had a black eye about two weeks before she was murdered. They are involved. They definitely had her body and her backpack. You know people are going to judge you, right? Of course. They're judging me now. They've been judging me damn near my whole life. You can listen now to season two of Proof wherever you get your podcasts and follow along with us as we reinvestigate the murder at the warehouse. I have to ask, did you kill Renee? American Criminal is a new true crime podcast from the studio behind American Scandal and American History Tellers. Every week, you'll fall deeper into the riveting stories of the country's most clever, craven, and cruel criminals. Fraud, theft, murder, and worse. Whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the whole story until now. The debut season tackles one of the most sensational cases of the 20th century, the Menendez murders. In 1989, young Lyle and Eric Menendez brutally shot their own parents. Prosecutors and the press said it was a multi-million dollar inheritance that led two greedy rich kids to murder. 
but the picture-perfect facade this Hollywood family built hid troubling abuse. Could these teenagers have been driven to kill, or was it even in self-defense? Listen now. Go to AmericanCriminal.com or search for and follow American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. The police didn't really do a lot. They they definitely told me I had to be serious. And then they were like, if you want to press charges, you can, but it's going to be a he said, she said. I was like, well, what about the tape? And they told me, well, the boys said they destroyed the tape. Or at first they told the police that it never existed. And then I guess the police were like, people say that it did exist. So if you have it, we need it. And they were like, oh, no, we destroyed it. We don't have it. And so the police came back to me and they were like, oh, well, the boys said they don't have it. So without that tape, you know, we don't have anything. It's just he said, she said. My parents really wanted me to press charges, but I was not cooperative. I ended up telling the police that I didn't want to do anything. I just was only doing it because my mom was making me that I just wanted all of it to go away. The police were like, okay. And I guess the police weren't super nice. I found out, uh, I think last year or maybe the year before my mom and I were talking about this. And I guess the police were kind of rude to my parents about it. If your daughter didn't want to have sex, she shouldn't have been having sex and she shouldn't have been over there. It was just all these victim blaming statements to my parents. Daniel's parents, of course, found out all of this was happening because the police had come to their house and told them what they were being accused of. And Daniel's mom called me a big, fat, lying slut and that my parents should have been keeping a better eye on their daughter. And yet yeah, that was kind of the consensus for a long time was my parents should have known what I was doing. I shouldn't have lied to my parents. If I didn't want to have sex, I should have stopped him. I should have been smarter than that. Like, it sucks that there's a sex tape of you, but you shouldn't have been there in the first place. You obviously wanted that to happen because now it's cool, even though it wasn't cool. It's not cool to have a sex tape when you're 15. There's nothing cool about that. I've often wondered, I'm like, I wonder... We have the whole Me Too movement now, and more people are willing to share their stories. Rape and things like that are a lot more prevalent in society, and we talk about it a lot more, which I guess is some sort of solace. If we talk about stuff and share our stories, I think it's really important that was my whole freshman year <laughs> and my summer before high school. Unfortunately, Daniel never really saw any consequences to his actions, at least none in a legal or public way. I don't know if, you know, maybe he saw consequences in his personal life. I, I don't know about that, but... It took a long time for me, like I said, to even acknowledge that what had happened to me was rape. I think the first time that I actually had consensual sex and like my own choice and the first time that I wasn't comfortable with something and I said, I don't want to do this. And the person respected my boundaries. I was like, oh, like it was like a light bulb moment for me. This is what sex is. And this is what having someone who respects you is like 
and who respects your boundaries and respects your words. And then that's when I was kind of like, oh, what happened was really bad. And it took me a lot of years. Now I'm in my 30s. I'm doing better. I've gone to a lot of therapy and talked a lot about this and got to the point where A, I could call it what it was and B, I can share it with people. And and I think part of what kind of stirred my motivation to share this story and reach out because the statute of limitations ran out on my case a long time ago. By the time I was ready to face what happened and called it what it was and was angry enough to call Daniel out on it, it was too late in the eyes of the law. And there's no limit for child pornography, which is technically what Daniel made with me because I was only 15 and the age of consent in Oregon is 16 and the age of adulthood in the U.S. is 18, obviously. But unless I were to actually find the tape or had everybody who saw it, which I don't even know how many people saw it, would be willing to testify to say they saw it. Yeah. When the cops told me, like, are you sure that's what you want to say? Because it's a really serious accusation and he's going to get in a lot of trouble. You could ruin this person's life. I decided to look Daniel up on social media because we have that now. I found that he was married and he has daughters. He has a couple of daughters. Yeah. And I was so angry. Like I felt irrational being angry about it. Mm -hmm. But I was like, how can he be a father now and have daughters and did what he did to me? It just was wild to me. I hope they they have a good life. But I mean, we don't wish ill on others. We, you know, I hope everything goes great and all of those things. But I, 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 I can't even imagine how he would respond if something like that happened to one of his daughters. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought. And I think that, like I said, that finding that out and that got me back into therapy and talking about this and then back out to being wanting to look in what I could do legally and finding out there wasn't a lot I could do legally. And then deciding, I think for like the last year or so, I've thought about reaching out to you to share this story. And I've always kind of chickened out. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to share it. This is, this is, it'll be good. You were great. And you're very articulate. And I know how scary it is. I, I absolutely understand especially when it's something that you probably still to this day feel shameful about something to this day that just is the worst possible thing. And, and talking to a stranger, I know you probably feel like, you know, me because you've heard my voice, but you know, (laughs) it's telling it to a stranger and all that it's, it's nerve wracking. And, um, I always try to keep that in mind when someone comes on my show is, they, they were probably having a panic attack before they called me. <laughs> you know, they were oh, probably... I definitely almost chickened out this morning. <laughs> yeah, I was okay. like, I think I'm feeling sick. Maybe I should call it off. And I was like, no, I can't be flaky. I have to be a professional. I agreed to this. <laughs> yeah, I understand. And I, I try to be cognizant of that um, because I, I'm in the easy role where I just have to listen. I don't have to worry about what I'm sharing. I just have to listen to you. And, um, yeah, these are heavy stories. So that takes like, that's an emotional labor. 
Yeah. If that makes sense. Well, luckily I I feel like people have some sort of solace or catharsis when they're talking and that makes me feel good. Okay, good. I definitely do. I'm this is great. I'm pumped. (laughs) I'm so glad I shared this. Now it's not just, well, here's this sex tape and you know, we're gonna interpret it however we feel like. Now they hear my side of the story, not just Daniel's. Yeah. Not that anybody that I went to high school with is going to listen to this, but in case they do. Yeah, well, you never know. And maybe somebody else that had a terrible experience with Daniel will hear it and be like, oh, that's, yeah, I know that guy. Yeah, hopefully not. I'm like, I like to think that I'm the only one because that (laughs) makes me feel a little bit better about not pressing charges. I know that's very selfish. But, you know, this is another reason why. I mean, people always think why, you know, people always question, why didn't she report it? Why didn't she press charges? Da, 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 da. And, and it's not that simple. It's not as simple as, oh, this is the right thing to do. It's There's a lot of baggage. There's a lot of things to navigate with that. And it's not just something bad happened to me and I reported. It's all of your your family, your friends, your empathy, even for the perpetrator. And that's so weird. And people will never be able to wrap their heads around that. They'll be like, he did something bad to you. Why aren't you pressing charges? And it's because in your mind, you're like, I don't want to get them in trouble. And it's it's odd that we think that way, but it's because we're good people. They're not a good person, but we're good people. (laughs) Exactly. And looking back, I'm like, I don't even know if I went to court that they would really do anything. The police department that we worked with were just so like, it's going to be, he said, she said, it's going to be hard to prove. Like you waited so long to report it. You know, there's just all of this stuff. They made it sound really impossible and scary. When it's literally on video. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) And not we're here to support and advocate with you, which I guess isn't really police's job, but you know, still when you're reporting a crime, you feel like they'll take you seriously and not try to tell you how scary and hard it will be to move forward with it. Thank you, Erica, for sharing. Some of you might have noticed that I didn't speak a lot on this episode. It's because I think you should be listening to the victims more than talking. So that was the approach I took, and I hope... If nothing else, people can understand the trauma that this can cause and understand how bad victim shaming and blaming is in cases like these. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then... 
Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.